Hey, folks, give it up for our choir and worship team this morning. My goodness. Amen. So, so rich. The Gospel of Luke is where we're going to be today. So go to the Gospel of Luke chapter 24 with me. I'm just going to start reading. The Bible tells us, but on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb. Taking the spices they had repaired, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. But is risen, remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe in them. But when Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Jesus was crucified, as you know, on a Friday afternoon. Friday was considered the day of preparation according to Jewish law before the Sabbath. So all the work had to essentially be done by the time the sun went down when the Sabbath began. Saturday, of course, is the Sabbath day. The Sabbath was a day set aside for rest. So Jesus has died on a Friday afternoon, and as quick and efficiently as they could, some friends took his body and prepared it for burial. They were going to come back on Sunday and finish those preparations. There was a man named Joseph there. He was a member of the Sanhedrin, a religious ruler. There was another man named Nicodemus there. He was also a ruler of the Sanhedrin. There were some women there who had been impacted by the life and ministry of Jesus, and they supported the ministry of Jesus. These friends gathered the body of Christ and prepared Jesus for the tomb. Now, I don't know if you're a follower of Jesus or not. I know many of us in this room are. But even if you're not, I want you to try and imagine that. If you can't put yourself in the shoes of those who are gathering the body of Jesus off of the cross. Can, can, can you picture that? Can you imagine what it must have felt like to go and feel the full weight of the lifeless body of Jesus Christ fall onto you? What must it have been like to be one of those men or women who took the body of the Savior off of the cross to walk away from that experience after you have taken him to the borrowed tomb, after the stone has been rolled in front of the door, when you went from there and you went to your home or the place that you were lodging, and when you got there that evening, 
and you had to wash the literal blood of Jesus off of your own body. Can you just imagine how they had to feel? They prepared his body for the tomb. There were spices, there was aloe and other oils. It was a cloth or a shroud that they wrapped his body in. They placed him in the tomb that was carved out of rock wall, and then a large stone was rolled over the front of it, sealing it. Friday ends, and Sabbath begins, the day of resting. Now, now I know that there's no one in the room, none of us here, who can fully comprehend what the followers of Jesus felt that Friday afternoon. I, I mean, the reality is we, we, we weren't there. We, we don't know exactly how that felt. We didn't see Jesus physically die. We've seen movies. We've seen artwork. But we also didn't see him physically live. But every single one of us in this room, from the youngest of us to the oldest of us, can relate to something that they felt. Pain. Every one of you in this room have experienced unimaginable pain, and heartache. Every one of us in this room have been through things that feel like no one else would understand. And the reality is none of us won't understand your pain. It is as unique to you as you are. But every one of us in here knows deep personal pain, so we know how dejected they must have felt. Have you felt like that? Some of us may feel like that this morning. And, and, and no pun intended here because it's Easter, but have you ever felt like you put all your eggs in one basket only to be let down? Have you ever put your trust in a person only to have them miserably fail you, maybe violate you, maybe even abuse you, maybe take advantage of you? Have you ever been passed up for something that you were 100% positive was yours? It was for you. Maybe it was a relationship that ended. Maybe a job or a promotion that passed you by. Maybe it's a sickness. Maybe it's disease. Now, now here's what I know. Here in Luke chapter 24, there is an answer for all of the pain all of the grief and all of the death that every single one of us in this room has experienced. You could put it all together in one big pile, and there is an answer found here in Luke chapter 24. But it's in the second half of the chapter, the one that we don't usually teach on Easter, so let's begin looking at verse 13. Look at verse 13 with me. That very day, two of them, two of who? Two disciples. We're going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. What things? Well, one of their friends had betrayed Jesus. He'd been paid 30 pieces of silver. Jesus had been arrested. They saw Jesus sweat literal drops of blood. They saw him beaten and crucified when he was the most perfect, gentle, kind, wise, loving, innocent, pure person that they'd ever seen. All these things is what they're talking about. The false trials and then the crucifixion, all these things that had happened while they were talking and discussing together. This phrase right here, 
They're talking about all of it. The rumors from the empty tomb. Verse 15 says, while they were talking, and I love this, while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Those two words change everything. These two words really are the crux of the Christian faith. Jesus himself is appearing after Jesus himself had been dead and put in a tomb. If Jesus himself does not show up on this dirt road going to Emmaus, we have no faith. Now, this is not a fake. It's not a counterfeit Jesus. This is not an apparition. The Bible says it's Jesus himself. Very clear. There's so much weight to that because Jesus himself, as we just mentioned, had died a couple days before. And they they saw it, they knew it, everybody saw it. Everybody in Jerusalem was aware of what had happened. History records that Jesus died. This is not just in the Bible. I mean, we know this. Even outside of the Bible, people that aren't followers of Jesus will say, yes, there was a man named Jesus, and he did die in Jerusalem, crucified on a cross. It's a big deal that Jesus himself is walking down this road. And I think sometimes that gets lost on us as a church crowd. Sometimes this gets, we, we skip over this and we're not enamored with it the way that we should be. It, it, because we've heard it so much. This is just normal to us. But I mean, the reality is, just for me, in my life, my 43 years... All of the dead people that I've known are still dead. I mean, it's just, look, I mean, I'm just, it's just been my experience. I believe God can raise people from the dead. I hear stories of it happening today. Praise God, I believe he is still a miracle-working God. But I'm just saying, I don't know any of them. I've been to a lot of funerals. I've preached a lot of funerals. I've been in a lot of hospital rooms. So have some of you. I would say 100% of the people that I know who have died are, are dead. But Jesus himself was walking down the road. After he'd been dead, that, that, that's a big deal. When people die, they stay dead, but death didn't seem to agree very much with Jesus, so he decided he would not stay dead. Verse 16, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him, and he said to them, this is so humorous, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? Now just imagine you're walking down the road, you are dejected and down, probably crying, probably looking at the ground. You know how your throat feels and you've cried so much and you're probably hoarse and the muscles and you're, they're all tensed up because I just can't cry anymore. And here comes this guy walking up, just catching up like to these guys walking down the road that probably want to be alone. Hey guys, what are y'all talking about? And they stood still looking sad. I just want to stop right here and rest on this verse for a minute. I believe this is it. This is the point. This is the crescendo for these two people that as far as we know were followers of Jesus. That They were disciples, but these aren't like one of the big 12, okay? They're not frontline disciples. How do we know that? Because we don't even know one of these guys' name. 
Right? We know one guy here is named Cleopas, and there's another man, another woman, maybe Cleopas' wife. We have no idea. Never hear from these people again. So in other words, they're a part of the deal, but they're, they're sort of over here on the edge of the deal. They're followers of Jesus, but they aren't important enough as far as everybody else is concerned for anybody to learn their names. You're sort of on the outside, but they're followers of Jesus. And I love this, and here's why. Because these two people remind me an awful lot of us. Most of us are never going to have our name in light and be famous for being followers of Jesus. I mean, it's just not in the cards for most of us. Maybe, maybe one of you, maybe one of the kids in here, one of the teenagers in here, God's going to use in a miraculous way and we're going to hear about them all over the world. I, I pray for that. That'd be wonderful. But for most of us, it's going to be, we're, we're going to be less known and try to be faithful. That's, that's sort of these guys. They're, they're, they're not varsity disciples. They're JV at best, right? They don't have their names on the back of their robes as they're walking down the road. No, nobody knows them. And maybe even for some of us as followers of Jesus, We've never quite felt like we fit all the way in. Maybe it's church culture we've never felt like we fit all the way in with. Maybe just culture in general. Maybe there's things that we just don't understand. Maybe we don't like the right kind of music. Maybe we don't read the right kind of books. Maybe we don't know the right kind of words and language that a lot of people do. And we feel sort of on the outside looking in. Maybe, like Cleopas and his friend. I've already read that Jesus was resurrected that day. The most important thing that will ever happen in history has already happened. Jesus himself, who was actually killed, came back to life. And scripture tells us that he first appeared to a woman named Mary Magdalene outside the tomb. And I love this as well. And we talked about this in Sunday school in our class a few moments ago um, because it shows how much Jesus valued women in a culture that didn't always value women. Right? Mary becomes really the first missionary. Right? She goes to share the message of Jesus with others. Many, Mary goes and tells the disciples that Jesus is alive. Some of them believe, some of them do not. These two do not. And these two walking down the road away from Jerusalem would fall into that latter category. They did not believe that they were that they could that Jesus was alive. They couldn't risk believing that. They're walking away from everything at this point. Now you think about what they're leaving behind. They're leaving behind the community that they've known. They're walking away from the only other people on the planet that understood what they were going through. No, nobody else outside of the followers of Jesus would be in mourning in the same way. They're walking away from their friends. They're walking away from the center of the only religion that they've ever known right there in Jerusalem, which is where many turn in times of, uh, of distress and a need for comfort. Walking away, crushed, disappointed, bewildered, and numb, the same way many of us in this room have. And religion let us down. So we walked away. 
Cleopas and this unnamed person are walking away not only from religion, not only from their community, but they're walking away from resurrection itself. You don't have to believe me. God's word here says, but then Jesus himself draws near. This moment, Jesus draws near. Jesus, who had physically been nailed to a cross just two days prior, he had literally died. He is now literally walking down the road after two people who were walking away. I I just want us to get this, what's going on here. That Jesus is walking down the road after people who are walking away from religion and resurrection and community. He is going after them. Gang, right here at the beginning, if you are a part of the church, if you are a follower of Jesus, then right here at the beginning, this should tell us something about the heart of our God. Anybody sitting in their living room watching online right now, I just don't want you to miss this. Jesus doesn't want us to miss out on the one thing that can completely change your life. Resurrection. If you're in this room right now, the one thing that can completely transform your life is resurrection. Jesus understood something that nobody else did fully here. Jesus knew something before anybody else knew it. Jesus understood something that nobody else got. The one truth that can transform every pain, every hurt, every loss, every death that we have ever experienced, that we will ever experience in our life, my life, the life of Cleopas, the life of his friend. It's resurrection. If it's real... If resurrection is real, everything can change. If resurrection is true, all stories can be rewritten. Now, if you've read the New Testament, you know Jesus called people right at the beginning of his ministry. He's famous for this. He walks up alongside of people and he calls them to do what? Two words. Follow me. And walking along the beach, there's some guys fishing, cleaning their nets. He says, follow me. They drop their nets. They follow him. There's a guy collecting taxes, working for the Roman government, betraying his people. And he walks up to him. He says, follow me. He leaves his pen and his pad behind and all his money. And he follows Jesus. Jesus always calling people to follow him. In other words, the Jesus of the New Testament calls us to come after him. Here's the picture for us this morning morning. The same God that walked along the shores of Galilee walks along the shores of our life and calls us into the same relationship. Follow me. He's always saying, come after me. Learn my ways. Learn from me. Take this yoke of my teaching. It's light. It's easy. I'll carry it for you. But some of us in the room need to hear this this morning, and we need to feel this in the depths of our soul this morning. Jesus calls us to follow him, to become followers of Jesus. He comes after us, but when we're alone, and when we're hurt, when we're dejected, when we're feeling like we're in the pit, or in the dark night of the soul, you will find that not are you called to come after him, you will turn around and you'll find that he's coming after you. 
And some of us need to just feel the weight of it this morning. That the same Jesus who came after two disciples who are walking away, this morning is coming after you. Because sometimes when we're too tired to believe anymore, when we're too tired to do the right thing, to do the religious thing, to do the Christian thing, Jesus comes up behind us and says, I'll carry it for a while. I got you. I love you. Jesus comes to the disillusion when we're too broken or weak to come to him. Jesus will come to us. And for some of us, Jesus is chasing us down even this morning. Why? Because he doesn't want us to miss out on the one thing that can change everything. Resurrection. I love that. Jesus looks at them in probably the most ironic moment in the history of the universe. He walks up to these two guys. He says, hey, what are you talking about? Now, look at the next part in verse 8. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him. He gets a little mouthy with Jesus here. Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? Like, I mean, he looks at Jesus and says, hey, buddy, are you outside of your mind right now? How do you not know what you're, we're talking about? I mean, it's really amazing. And at some point, Cleopas is going to facepalm when he remembers how he spoke to the new, newly resurrected Savior of the world. But at this point, he's, in, he's incredulous. Man, where have you been? How do you not know what's been going on? This was the biggest deal. Everyone knows. Everyone was affected. And here's Jesus' response in verse 19. And he said to them, what things? He says, what things? He's totally messing with them at this point. I mean, he's totally just messing with them. Because Jesus knows what things. It's important for them to say it, though. You know that? It's important sometimes to say it because they need to say it. Sometimes you have to say it. Sometimes you have to say it out loud to another person to fully understand what it is that you've lost. For some of us, that's not our way. We want to do the opposite. We don't want to say it. We don't want to talk about it. But he forces them. He says, I want you to say it. What things? Sometimes you have to say it out loud to somebody to comprehend your own grief. They need to get it out of their system. They need to process it. And there are a couple of things that they get out of their system, that they, but they demonstrate that they're missing something. There's two things that get wrong and two things that get right. Here's a couple of things in the end that demonstrate that they got some things right. But let's look at this together. And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, the man who's a prophet mighty indeed, and word before God and to all the people. And what they're saying is he was mighty indeed before God and all the people that God approved of him, and people wildly followed him. Verse 20, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped, we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all of this, it's now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels and that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. 
Like they had literal first person testimony of Jesus not being dead. They couldn't dare believe it. Two things they miss. You see this in these verses that we just read. The first is demonstrated by these two words that they said, Jesus was. Number one thing they said that Jesus, who was a man. Jesus, who was a man. These disciples assume that Jesus was. Past tense. They, so they're, they're assuming something wrong because this is not a case of Jesus was. This is a case of Jesus is. Right? Jesus himself is walking down the road, but they're, they're still stuck in Jesus was. And it's a big mistake to assume Jesus was when you're walking down the road with a Jesus who is. It's a big mistake in your life and in my life as well, in my life today. Sometimes I assume that Jesus was a part of my story, but Jesus is not currently a part of my story. That Jesus did do something in my life, but that Jesus is not doing something in my life today. This happens when we can't see what he's doing. This happens when we don't understand what he's doing. They assumed that Jesus was when it was actually that Jesus is. I get that. I understand that. Cleopas and his friend had hope, but their hope had turned to the salty taste of tears. They had hope, but their hope had turned to despair. They had hope, but their hope had turned to loss because they assumed that Jesus was and not that Jesus is. They assumed, and it's normal and natural to assume, they saw Jesus die. They may have seen the tomb itself. To assume that Jesus was dead, they may have walked by it on their way out of town. They may have missed the resurrection by five minutes. It's normal to assume when we see with our eyes something. And these two disciples are falling into a trap. Even though other people had claimed that he was alive, they couldn't bring their hearts to hope again. What's the first thing they got wrong? They assumed that Jesus was instead of Jesus is. But look at number two. They said Jesus was just a prophet. They assumed that Jesus was a prophet, just a prophet. Number two thing, they sort of messed up here. They said that he was a prophet, mighty indeed, and we hoped... He was the one to redeem Israel. Once upon a time, this is important, once upon a time, there was a prophet in ancient Israel who went by the name of Moses. You'll remember if you've read the Old Testament or seen the prince of Egypt, right? It's a favorite in our house. That God used Moses to go before the Pharaoh of Egypt and proclaim with loud bravado, Ramesses, let my people go. All right, you, some of you have seen the movie apparently, Okay. Well, the people of Israel had long expected another prophet to come in the mold of Moses. Why? Because Moses told them this would happen. Moses prophesied that someone would come, a long-expected prophet would come in the, 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 the form of Moses, that somebody would rise up from our ranks. He'll be like me in some ways. How? He will proclaim God's truth and he will deliver God's people. Okay, so Jesus showed up and he's like Moses in some ways. He proclaimed God's truth and he was to bring deliverance to God's people. But here's what Cleopas and his friend got wrong. They assumed because Jesus has died, that's all he was, is that he was like a prophet like Moses. But Jesus is so much more than just another prophet. He is a prophet, but he's not only a prophet. Prophet, And what they're saying is God is only 
And any time we get to the point where we say God is only this or that, and we try to put him into a box, a dead Jesus comes walking down the road that refuses to be put in our boxes. He's a prophet. He's not only a prophet that Cleo and his friends were hoping for. They were hoping that it would be a prophet in the way that Moses was a prophet. What did Moses do? He came, proclaimed God's law, and he got the Egyptians off of their backs. And now the nation of Israel is living once again under an oppressive government. And they think that Jesus would be like Moses in two ways. He'll proclaim God's truth, and he will get the Romans off of our backs. He's proclaimed God's truth. In fact, the Bible tells us he taught in a way that nobody had ever taught before. They were enamored. He checks off requirement number one. What about requirement number two? Will he get the Romans off of our backs? Will he deliver us from these oppressive Romans? No, he died. He must have just been a prophet. See, Jesus came to deliver Cleopas and his friend, and he came to deliver you and me as well, but not in the way that we want. And most of the time, not in the way that we would expect. So much bigger. It's so much purer than all of that. Jesus came to deliver us from something far bigger and far more personal than just a Roman government. Jesus came to deliver me from me. Jesus came to deliver me from my own vile wickedness, my own sin. He came to deliver me from my own loss. And he came to deliver me, and we sang it a few minutes ago, from death itself. Verse 25, and he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all of the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And as they walked their remaining miles to Emmaus, they had the greatest Bible study that's ever been had. Jesus opens up the Old Testament and says, that's me, that's me, that's me. You remember that part? That was me. Remember this, that pointed to me, that all along, everything from the beginning to now has been pointing to me. They're walking down a dirt road with the guy who wrote the Bible, and the guy who wrote the Bible is teaching it to them, saying, do you remember that story? That's me. That's me from beginning to end. So they drew near to the village to which they were going, verse 28. He acted as if he was going to go further. Still messing with him. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. Watch, this is the best part. This is the goodness right here. Don't miss it. Verse 30 says, He was at the table with them. He took the bread, he blessed it, and broke it, and he gave it to them. This is reserved for the master of the house. And so for Jesus, a guest, to do this in someone else's house, and you get that. You come to my house, it's not your job to serve me food, it's my job to serve you food. You come to my house, and you say, hey, pastor, I'm going to take over the grill for you. I will be offended. It's my, as host, it's my job to take care of your needs in my home. But Jesus sits down at the table, and he takes on the role of the master of the house. Jesus, having taught them the whole Bible, does what Jesus does all throughout the Gospels. Watch me. He took the bread and he broke it. Can you imagine this? They've been blinded this whole time, but Jesus takes a loaf of bread, holds it up, 
And can you imagine when he does, that sleeves of his robe would fall down. And at this moment that he breaks the bread and blesses it before the Father, their eyes are opened and they see the nail-pierced hands. God's word tells us he blessed it and he broke it. And when he did that, their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And they saw as they looked at the man who was the bread, who was broken for them. Just like he had told them just a few days before when they're having the Last Supper in the upper room. And he breaks the bread and he says, guys, this is my body broken for you. And now they're, they're seeing it again. Oh, we understand now. And we see that his body was broken for us. And now a few days later, they sit not at a ceremony. This is not a religious thing that they're doing. I mean, they're essentially sitting down to a barbecue together, to the family meal at dinner time. It's Sunday dinner. He holds up the bread. They see the nails, the holes in his wrist. He blesses the bread. He blesses them. He breaks it. He gives it to them. And he vanished from their sight is what the Bible tells us. Gone. Their eyes were open and they recognized them and he's gone. They blinked, and he didn't just get up and run out while they had their eyes closed in prayer. Like Jesus didn't run out and hide behind a tree until they went back in. Like he, he, he's gone. Where did he go? I think he went to meet with Peter at this point, but I don't know that. Verse 32, they said to each other, did our hearts not burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? They said to each other, our hearts burned within us while he talked to us on the road. When he opened up the scriptures, when he taught us, it's the scriptures, the teaching of the scriptures that creates this holy heartburn inside of them. There's something about seeing Jesus in the scriptures. For those of you who are followers of Jesus that will do something miraculous in the life of a believer... When you begin to connect the dots in the Old Testament with the person of Christ, it will grow and increase your faith in miraculous ways. Verse 33 says, And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. They found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and now he's appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. We talk about two things they got wrong. We'll end with these two things they got right. Number one, they recognized him. Number one, they, they recognized him. And you may say, well, Matt, that's only because God made that happen. That's true. But only reason any of us recognize Jesus as Savior is because God made that happen in our lives. Jesus miraculously shielded them from knowing he, he is the truth. And then he let them see it was him because he was doing something deeper in them on that road. It's amazing. It's amazing to me that he shows up and they realize that in the mundane eating of food... Just reminds me of life. That sometimes we get to know Jesus just in the regular parts of life. It may not be, and I'm not going to be offended if you say, you know what? It's not this Sunday morning. It's not the preaching. It's not the worship. As amazing as that was. So when Jesus is doing stuff while you're at your job. When Jesus is teaching you stuff as you're parenting your kids. When Jesus is teaching you stuff. It's just the mundane part of life. He shows up. Something here about the breaking of bread, though, the blessing of bread, the giving of bread that took them back probably to the upper room where he said, this is my body, and they see the scars, and they listen to his heart. And here's the challenge for us. It's, it's don't make this mistake of refusing to recognize that God has come and shown up in your life. 
Don't walk away, I beg of you, and neglect to see the fact that Jesus actually died and walked down a dirt road with some people, and then he walks down dirt roads after you every single day. Don't let the story of your Easter, I beg you, to be, I got dressed up and went to church and then went home and ate ham. Or whatever is on the table at your house. If that's the story of Easter for you, it's a waste. Because God has so much more for you. So much more. So they recognized him, and then finally they were changed by him. They recognized him. Number two, they let her change. We say, well, Matt, God did that. Yeah, God did that. But they were changed. Resurrection, Resurrection changes everything. It changes everything. And here's why this is probably the most simple thing that I've ever said in my entire life from a preaching platform. Resurrection changes everything because no matter how broken you feel, resurrection can still change that. No matter how broken you feel, no matter, no matter how dead something feels, if resurrection is real, that doesn't have the final word in your life. If a resurrection is true, what good thing can't be possible. No matter what you're going through, no matter what's going on in your life right now, this is true. If resurrection is true, no matter how deep the pit you're in, there is someone who can grab you that is outside of circumstance. If resurrection is true this morning, that sickness doesn't get to have the last word because there's a man who died and then said, no, I'm not going to stay dead and I can pull you out of that. If resurrection is true, death is not even allowed to have the final word anymore. If resurrection is true, then every single one of us can do what that woman in the Gospels did who was suffering. We can take hold of Jesus, the only one who lives above death, sickness, cancer, and changes everything, abuse, misery, and loneliness and despair. Resurrection changes everything. And no matter what has happened in your life, no matter what will happen in your life, Resurrection changes everything because you can encounter the God who lives. And many of us in this room have, haven't we? Say something about that. Man, resurrection has changed you. You're not who you were. Not who you're going to be either. I don't want you to hear this morning, beloved, I want you to hear me after I just went on that little rant to go out of here and say, well, the pastor said because Jesus rose from the grave, everything is going to be healed here. The Bible doesn't promise that. The Bible doesn't, Bible doesn't say that's going to happen in your life. So don't walk away and say the pastor said this and my story hasn't been that way. Not every story is going to have a happy ending here, but if resurrection is true, and it is, it will. But it won't unless you let resurrection change you. What I love most about Luke chapter 24 is this, and we'll end on this one thought. If I was Jesus, which is a terrifying thought for all of you, and it is for me too. If I was Jesus, just think about this. And if you died on a Friday, and it was the Sunday that it was appointed for you to not be dead anymore, and you came busting out of the tomb, trampling over death by death. When that stone rolled away, if I was Jesus and I came out of the tomb, you know what I would have done? 
Probably the same thing you would have done. I've probably thought about it a little more only because I was preaching this morning, but here's what I would have done. Here's what we would have done probably. I would probably not have appeared to Mary Magdalene first and then walked seven miles to Emmaus with two guys that don't even get listed with the 12, right? I mean, JV at best. That's not where I go. If I just resurrected myself, here's what I would have done. I would have walked out of the tomb. I'd have walked across the city of Jerusalem. I would have walked up the big old high door of the house of the high priest. And I'd start banging. And there's some servant somewhere that's throwing on clothes and running to the door with an oil lamp. And he's going to open the door. And when he opened it, I would have put my finger in his face. And I would just said three words. I told you. Then I would have left there. I'd walk across town up a hill and I'd bang on the gates. When somebody came to the gates, when a Roman centurion came to the gates, and one of the soldiers came to the gates, I said, go get him. Go get your boss. Go get Pilate. Wake him up. And when Pilate, when they dragged him out of bed, he comes down to the gate. His face would have turned white. Remember, his wife said, don't mess with this man. And I put my finger in his face, and I said, I told you. And, and, and then I would have walked off of that hill, and I'd walk over to another hill, and I'd bang on another door. And say, go wake up the king. Go wake up Herod. But, but when you go wake him up, tell him that the king's here. And Herod would have come down, throw his robe on, come stumbling to the door. And I put my finger in his face. And I would have looked at him and I would have said, I told you. And then I would have walked up the highest point on the Temple Mount. And I would have used my God powers to proclaim to the whole world. In a loud voice so that everybody heard at the same time. I am Jesus. I was dead. I'm not anymore. I'm alive. I am now in charge of everything. Here's the proof. I have risen. But that's not what Jesus did. Jesus appeared to Mary Magdalene, and then he walked down a dirt road after two people who are a lot like you and me, sometimes on the outside looking in. He chased down two people who were this close to missing the resurrection. So don't let your Easter be about a new dress a new shirt, an egg hunt, and some ham. It's about resurrection. And it can change everything for you, beloved. Whether you're a follower of Jesus right now or you're not, it can change everything for you. So you bow your heads and close your eyes with me. If you're in the room this morning, if you're online, and you have never had 
an encounter with the God who lives. And here's, here's what I want you to hear. The God who lives saying to you this morning, I am coming after you because I don't want you to miss out on resurrection. And if you dare to believe this morning that there is a God who lives, then the Bible says if you will put the weight of your life, your faith or trust in him, then dear one, resurrection can change you too. So I'm just going to invite you right now, where you sit, nothing fancy, nothing magical about saying a prayer. It's about the God who saves and you having the faith to trust that. You got to get honest with him first, dear one. Confess to him. Confess your sin to him. Right now in your own words, just tell him you're a mess. Tell him you've tried to do it on your own and that has not worked. Ask him to forgive you. Tell him you believe that he died on that cross for you, but that death could not hold him. Ask him to be your God and king forever. Now, with heads bowed and eyes still closed, every single one of us, I told you this earlier, every single one of us has a card near us. When we open our eyes just in a moment, I'm going to ask you to take that card. I'm going to say a prayer, and then when I say amen, don't stand up, don't go anywhere. Just grab the card that's near you, and let's read through it together. Jesus, thank you for coming after us. Thank you for coming after us down this long dirt road of our lives, because you don't want us to miss out on resurrection. Thank you that you're still coming after people today. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. On this card, and I'm going to ask all of us to fill this out, whether you've been here at Central for a long, long time, whether this is your first time here, I'm asking everyone in the room to fill this out because there's a couple important things here. Number one, at the top, if everybody would write their name on the card, and then an email and a phone, and then there's a place here for all of us, whether we're Christians or not, to respond to Jesus. But some of us in this room need to get baptized next week. We need to take that step of obedience. Some of us need to discover more about what it means to be a follower of Jesus or be a, be, be a part of a church family. Some of us just a moment ago for the very first time might have prayed a prayer to allow the God who lives to come into our life. You just check off, follow Christ there. Or if there's some other decision you need to make that you want somebody to pray with you about, then I'm just going to invite you to write that in. But also at the bottom of this card, there is a place for you to write something for us to pray about together. And our staff will get together on Tuesday, and we're going to read these, and we're going to pray for you. And it is the, I mean, it, is the, it literally is the best part of our week to be able to pray over the members of this community. So I'm just going to invite you to write something there as well. We're going to sing one last song together, and then we're all going to stand up together, and we're going to head out of these doors. And when we do, we'll have staff members at the back holding baskets, and those are for these cards. So you can just drop those in there on your way out. That's it. That's all you have to do. You with me? All right, so I'm going to give you one more minute just to fill these out, and then we're going to stand and sing together. Is that right, Vernon? Okay. And when we stand and sing, if you need to talk to somebody about something you're writing on this card, you just need to talk to somebody today. We've got pastors that will be down front that would love to pray with you or talk with you about that now and even after the service. 
So let me pray one more time. When I say amen, we're all going to be on our feet. We're going to sing our way out of here today. Heavenly Father, thank you that today is Resurrection Day. And thank you that tomorrow is Resurrection Day. And thank you that the day after that is Resurrection Day because you died once to die no more. You died to bring all of those who will follow you into life. And we praise you for that in the strong name of Jesus. And everybody said together, amen. Amen. Will you stand with me as we sing our way out this morning?